welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy. Produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number nine, Scaling Questions in First Sessions. Well, thank you indeed for joining me once again here on Leading from Behind, the solution-focused therapy podcast. In this episode of the program, we'll continue our in-depth look at first sessions. This time, we'll shift our attention to the use of scaling questions, a unique and useful element of solution-focused practice. In particular, we'll be looking at how a scaling question is used to connect the client's view of their current circumstances in relation to their preferred future. As well, we'll look at several other ways that scaling questions can be useful in first sessions. Finally, in the resource section of this episode, I'll mention a newly formed association of solution-focused practitioners that might be of interest to some of you, as well as a reminder for North American listeners about the next Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Association conference next November. So, once again, thanks for dropping in, and I hope you'll find this episode useful in developing your understanding of solution-focused practice. In these beginning episodes of Leading from Behind, we've been looking at the process, skills, and techniques associated with first sessions in solution-focused practice. We begin the first session by seeking an understanding of the client's best hope from the conversation. This gives us a general sense of what the client wants from the work together. From there, we move into a discussion of the problems or concerns that bring the client through the door. During this period of the session, we want to learn about how the problem shows up in the client's life. Or, put another way, how the problem is a problem. Even though, in solution-focused practice, we'll move more rapidly towards what people want instead of the problems or concerns that bring them through the door, we want to spend enough time here so that our clients feel heard, understood, and respected. Now, during this initial portion of the session, we also want to understand how clients have coped or managed in the face of their problems. Our hope is to uncover evidence of the client's strengths, skills, and resilience despite these difficulties. In a first session, we also try to shine a light on pre-session change, improvements that have occurred in the client's life since the time of booking and then attending the counseling appointment. So, after accomplishing these tasks with the client, the solution-focused therapist then makes a significant shift toward a discussion of the client's preferred future. As mentioned during previous episodes, a good portion of time can be spent in seeking the client's description of what's wanted instead. Next, in a first session, and as discussed in our last episode, we explore for the presence of exceptions, times when even small parts of the client's preferred future already occur. And so, as we move closer toward the completion of the session, our attention shifts to the use of scaling questions. Now, to begin this discussion, we'll listen first to a scaling question being asked during our case demonstration. Now, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, a brief synopsis of the case would be as follows. The client, a young woman named Rachel, has been coping with a recent miscarriage, some additional health concerns, and some difficulties at her workplace. These matters have had a considerable impact on her mood, energy, and overall well-being. There's also been some challenges in her relationship with her partner, Alex. Now, so far, Rachel has already provided some very good descriptive detail about her preferred future. 
very much in line with her best hope from the conversation, that she'll get back to being like she was before these difficulties arose. She's also noted some encouraging exceptions, and earlier in the conversation, described some pre-session change. So, at this point in the session, I ask Rachel a scaling question. So, Rachel, let's say on a scale of, of 1 to 10, where 10 is when this miracle has happened and you're back to who you were three months ago, and 1 is the opposite of that, where would you put yourself on that scale these days? Hmm. That's a tough one. I guess I mean, it depends on the day. But right now, I say I'm about a sex. This question is probably the most commonly asked scaling question in first and follow-up sessions in solution-focused practice. I'm asking the client to locate where she sees herself today in relationship to her preferred future. Now, before we look at some of the reasons for asking this particular question, let's take a look first at some of the components of scaling questions. First, the scale used in solution-focused practice always uses 10 as the positive or most desired anchor point, with 1 or 0 being the negative or less desired anchor point. This is different than how a scaling question is sometimes used in medicine, where it's used to understand the degree of someone's pain. Now, whether you use 1 or 0 as the low end of the scale is really just a matter of personal preference, although some solution-focused practitioners might have their own good reasons for using one or the other. Next, the 10, or positive anchor, is mentioned first when presenting the scaling question. Now, how we describe the anchor points to the client is quite important, as the subtleties of language can influence sometimes how clients might respond. So, in first sessions, when we ask a scaling question to understand where clients see themselves in relation to their preferred future, we might describe 10 as being the day after the miracle has happened, or alternatively, as your best hopes have been realized. As well, one might even describe 10 as meaning where you would prefer things to be. Finally, in Rachel's case, 10 could also be described as you've reclaimed the person you were three months ago. Now, the key here is that 10 represents the client's desired outcome, but doesn't necessarily reflect that things are perfect or some other ideal state has been achieved. Now, on the opposite end of the scale, when we're asking about where the client is in relationship to their preferred future, we generally identify one only in a very general way. Often the best way to do this is to identify it simply as the opposite of 10. In our experience, identifying one as being the worst things could be and 10 as some kind of ideal tends to invite some clients to focus on how things could be worse or talk about the, the impossibility of reaching 10. Now, let's look a bit closer at our reasons for asking this scaling question in solution-focused practice. And I'll begin by saying that the numbers our clients identify are nowhere near as important as the meaning attached to them. So in our case example, Rachel 6 first invites our curiosity about how she's come to choose this number, or more specifically, why it isn't lower. Secondly, it sets the stage for asking her about next small signs of change. But let's look first at how this scaling question allows us to follow up by asking Rachel to tell us more about what she's doing right now that might be further evidence of her strengths, skills, knowledge, and expertise. Okay, and how come it's a six and not lower? Well, it has been lower. 
but I think it's because things are going better between Alex and I, and because I know what I need to do. It's just a matter of doing it and keeping it going. Again, the intent here is to invite the client to hear the sound of her own voice and to say aloud what she knows about herself. Now, in some instances, the follow-up to this particular scaling question also serves as a form of risk assessment. So if our client answered with a very low number on the scale, like 2 or 3, for example, our question about why it isn't lower often provides us with information about whether there's a risk for self-harm or concerns about safety. In cases where there is content in a session about suicidal ideation or potential harm to others, a more specific scaling question can be employed to further an assessment of risk. However, this is a subject we'll look at in more detail in a future episode. Now, as mentioned, the second purpose behind the scaling question about where the client sees herself in relation to her preferred future is to set the stage for asking about the next small sign of change. Now, the next small sign of change will be the subject of our next episode, but for our purposes of understanding the connection to the scaling question, here's how this follow-up question might sound in our case example with Rachel. Now, from your perspective, Rachel, what might be the next small but meaningful sign that you are moving up on this scale, even just a little? In referencing the scaling question, we can simply say the next small sign that you're moving up on the scale, as you heard in this example, or we can be even more specific by asking something like, so what might you notice that tells you that you've moved from a 6 to maybe a 6.5 or perhaps even a 7? In general, the scaling questions we ask in solution-focused practice are limited only by our curiosity during a session. Although it's probably important to say that we probably shouldn't ask too many scaling questions in a given session. But there are further examples that we should look at. So here's another scaling question that I ask Rachel, but this time I seek her perception of what her partner might say. And if Alex was here and I asked him where he thinks you are on this scale, what do you think he might say? He'd probably say I was a little bit lower, maybe four or five. And what do you see that tells you you're a little bit higher that maybe he doesn't see yet? I don't, I don't know. What's your best guess? Well, he certainly knows how stubborn I am. But maybe he doesn't see it as much since I've been so angry and frustrated. As you can hear, the purpose behind this question is to then invite the client to identify what they know about themselves that the other person may not have yet recognized. Alternatively, if Rachel indicated that Alex saw her as being higher on the scale than she sees herself, I could ask what he sees that she has yet to discover. This use of scaling questions, while not necessarily needed in Rachel's case, is often very useful in working with children, adolescents, and other less voluntary clients. Young people in particular may see themselves as being higher on a scale of progress than the adults in their lives, so this gives them an opportunity to say out loud why this is the case. Now, another use of scaling questions in a first session can be as a means of understanding the client's energy for change. Generally, we prefer to use the term energy rather than the word motivation, since this tends to be associated with the jargon of counseling and therapy and potentially implies criticism if the client is lower on the scale. Now, we might ask a scaling question about energy simply out of curiosity or as a means of determining whether the client might be up for a between-session task that might involve any action on her part. 
So the scaling question here might sound like this. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is you have lots of energy to do things that might be helpful in moving forward, and 1 is the opposite, where would you be right now? Again, this can lead to follow-up questions about signs that energy is increasing in small ways, or to highlight what the client is doing that's simply helping her to maintain her current level of energy. Scaling questions can also be used in first and follow-up sessions to reveal the client's confidence in maintaining their well-being or their current level of progress toward their preferred future. So, for example, I could also ask Rachel, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is you're very confident that you can maintain this 6 and 1 is the opposite, where would you be today? Finally, scaling questions can be very useful when clients are struggling with an important decision or find themselves challenged by a difficult choice. As a broad example, you could ask something like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is you're very firmly committed to this direction or choice, and 1 is the opposite, where would you be today? Once again, the client's response creates opportunities to understand more about their expertise and knowledge about their position and creates opportunity for dialogue about signs of how they might know that a choice or decision is becoming clearer. So in closing our discussion of scaling questions, it's important to note that they're an extremely useful and unique element of solution-focused practice. In both first and follow-up sessions, they allow us to understand where the client views herself in progressing toward the preferred future or best hopes. They can also be a very useful assessment tool if there are any concerns about safety. In addition, scaling questions create opportunity to learn more about the client's expertise and knowledge about his or her own life. And, importantly, they allow for a useful way to create conversation about next small signs of change. In the resource segment of the podcast today, I'd like to note the recent formation of a new association for solution-focused practitioners in Australia and New Zealand, as well as a first reminder of the next annual conference to be held by the Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Association, the gathering point for practitioners in North America. So first, there is news of the formation of the Austral-Asian Association for Solution-Focused Brief Therapy, known by the acronym AASFBT. The association has been formed as a membership-driven nonprofit organization that will serve to promote and develop solution-focused practice in Australia and New Zealand. In addition to a number of key aims by the association, there are plans for an annual conference. The very first will be held from July 26 to 28 on the Gold Coast. As well, there are plans for the creation of the Journal of Solution-Focused Brief Therapy, an international publication that would be of interest to practitioners across the globe. For more information about the AASFBT, the upcoming conference, and the upcoming journal, go to solutionfocused.org.au. Now, even though it's only mid-April, it's not too early to mention the next annual conference to be held by the Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Association. The conference will be held from November 6 to 11 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Preliminary information about the conference is already available at sfbta.org, where you can follow the link on the landing page. The conference is always a great opportunity to learn more about the approach and its many applications. It's also a chance to connect with people who practice in a similar manner and in areas that might be similar to your own. 
If you're new to the solution-focused approach, there's an opportunity to attend an introductory workshop at the conference. After that, you can build on this knowledge by attending the many presentations that follow during the conference. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining me. In our next episode, episode number 10, we'll look in more detail at one of the final elements in a first session in solution-focused practice. We'll examine the discussion with the client about next small signs of change. So in closing, if this episode has been helpful in your practice, please feel free to let us know. Or if there's something we could do or do differently to help in your understanding of solution-focused therapy, again, don't hesitate to get in touch. Comments or questions can be left on the Leading From Behind podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. Or you can send an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. Again, as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind are available on or about the 15th and 30th of each month. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Follow the link on the podcast page at hbtc.ca to access the free subscription, or look for us in the iTunes store in the training subcategory of the education section. Finally, thanks again to my colleague, Debbie Van Horn, for her assistance with our case example, and of course, Dano from danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. The music used in the podcast is entitled Seven Skies. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, the solution-focused therapy podcast, episode number nine. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you.